high school, I had the impression that Christianity was all about doing what Jesus said. The pastor and author Andy Stanley, who also grew up in a pastor's house further south in Georgia, uh, wrote that uh, he, he compared this view of, of Christianity as that is doing what Jesus said to a design game of Simon Says. You know what Simon Says? Okay, well, if, if Jesus says, it goes like this. Jesus says, read your Bible every day. Jesus says, pray every day. Jesus says, obey your parents every day. Jesus says, go to the church from time to time. Those are unlocked. Or get a key so you can unlock the door and go. Anyway, uh, Jesus did not say that. Right? Do what Jesus did, whatever it was. And so you're out. You know how that goes. John James Simon Simon says, if you eat something that Simon didn't say, it's not a good life. But sometimes we feel that way about Christianity. We do something that Jesus didn't say to do, and we go out. And when I was doing this, I was focusing on the rule. Don't do what Jesus said. Don't breathe in hell. Everything will be okay. But there are two problems when I focus on the rules. I thought life was a game, as Jesus said. There were two problems. Uh, most of the time I felt guilty and tried to find ways to cheat. Now, before anybody judges me for wanting to cheat, you all know, and you can, you can tell me that you never did it, but I won't believe you. Now, when you were playing a song and said, and the person said, take a step forward, and you take a step forward, you are trying to take a step back like you didn't really step forward because you didn't want to be out, right? Well, don't shake your head. You say, all right, I know it's true. So we, we did. And I would try to find ways when I was following the rules to make people think I didn't follow the rules at least, whether I actually pulled it off or not. I wanted to win. I'll just be honest with you, I'm a competitive person. Yeah, I'll bring that up, though. I'll one more time. I'm a competitive person. Um, there are other times, however, when I wasn't feeling guilty, and I think I was doing pretty good at following the rules, and I started to feel a little cocky. I was proud of myself. I was doing a good job. I was following the rules, and I knew, and I knew everybody who wasn't following the rules, and I said, um, you're better than me, I'm good, I'm not, yeah, okay. Uh, I had a pride problem. When I focused on the rules, I either felt guilty and tried to cheat, or I had a pride problem. Now, maybe you thought somewhere along the line that being a Christian meant just doing what Jesus said, kind of like what Simon says to you. One of the things I've noticed over the last uh, 40 years or so uh, is that Christians have been the most vocal, the ones who've been the most vocal, seem to be focused on the rules. The rules. Jesus says, Jesus did not say, and they're loud and proud and uh, Point fingers 
of the Ocean Drive Three Point Sisters, their photograph, the point fingers, and call people out for not being what Jesus said. But I just want to pause for a moment and, and, and just point out something that really ought to be obvious, but I found out over the last 40 years is not obvious that people are shocked when I tell them this. So hang on to your refrigerator. People who are not following Jesus have to do what Jesus said. So don't be surprised when they don't. Don't shock for somebody who's not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Some of you are shocked. I can see it on your faces. You hear the headlights go. We don't bother you getting to reception on Sunday night. We just will when I do. There are a lot of young adults, many young adults, who are bailing out of the church because they don't want to play games. They become convinced that while they're being finger pointing and the rules and Jesus says stuff, that this is where the giant tiny says things. And they don't want to play games. They want to be right. They want to know Jesus. But they won't play games. Just leave it at that. They're unimpressed with all the self appointed referees who are pointing at those who aren't following the rules. Maybe you left the church because you were growing up in it. Or as my friend Ed Worley used to say, the church I was brought up in. Uh, you see how Homeboy goes out here with him. Uh, maybe maybe it was because your parents split up and nobody knew what to do and you came from a divorced home. Or maybe it was because uh, you made some decisions that you regret now, uh, but at the time, you know, it seemed like the right thing to do, and now, now you the next thing you knew you were an outcast, you didn't fit, you were out because you didn't do what Jesus said. These things happen. Unfortunately, they happen when we focus on rules. The rules that Jesus kind of set here. So as we start this whole idea of the theme of follow me, I want us to try to start with a clean slate. It's going to be like next to impossible for us to do this. Because none of us is able to forget everything we've ever heard before, everything we've ever experienced before. So I want you to give it a shot. Start with a clean slate, and we're going to explore what Jesus actually said. What he actually said. And this month, and then throughout the year, we're going to be exploring uh, and digging into the four accounts of Jesus' life Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to uncover what Jesus wants his disciples to do. And I'm going to encourage you to read at least one of the accounts of Jesus' life this year. I did some math this morning. Uh, I don't know why. It might have been the Testament mocha that's up. But I did some math this morning. I figured out there are 89 chapters. If you read all four, of the books, the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read all four of them this year, 
you can read 1.76 chapters in, or you can read two chapters a week and have time left over, which is probably easier to figure out in that. Thank you. 
invited to be a disciple. And this is the story of Matthew, written by Matthew. So it's kind of like Matthew did in his testimony, telling his story. This is what happened. So, Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let's pause for a moment. We'll talk about tax collectors for a moment because, well, I, I don't think anybody walks around telling their neighbors that they work for the IRS. Uh, but at least it wasn't as bad as it was for the people in Jesus' day where he lived in Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. The Roman Empire, uh, they did not have government jobs. They didn't have what they had the Roman Empire allowed for regional tax collectors who would make bids to buy the position of collecting taxes in a particular area. And as they did that, uh, they could do charge whatever they wanted to charge for the taxes as long as the government got what they wanted. They had taxes on everything. The regional tax collectors then took money that they had and they would hire local citizens to work as tax collectors in their community. And they would give them money, and they'd offer them uh, money they just didn't receive. Uh, and the lo- local tax collectors that were, were hated by their neighbors because they were traitors and they were thieves. This whole thing that charge whatever you want went all the way down to the local tax. So here we are, Matthew's tax collector's group, and the government wants $20 for that load of fish you just unloaded from the boat, or whatever it was, or to give you permission to walk across the street. I think it was that good. And Matthew's thinking, you know, I need a new bunk. I need work or something. So instead of charging you just $20 with the government wants, he asked you for $40. And you know the government only wants 20, but he's asking for 40, and he's starting to complain with the Roman soldier standing next to him that he's sort of. Oh. Okay, so just give you 40 or die. We'll get with you. I'll give you the 40. The 30 don't care. I bet your mom's really proud of you. She always did that on purpose. It's hard to find people that we feel this way about, might feel similarly about in, in our world today. And maybe uh, somebody selling drugs to elementary or middle school kids. Maybe. Maybe something like that. And these, these people were, were hated and despised. They were despicable to everyone else. Tax collectors like Matthew were on everyone's least likely to be religious list. So Jesus went for them. He saw a man named Matthew, and he said to him, Jewish rabbi, 
was an honor to be a disciple of a rabbi, any rabbi. But Jesus was like the most popular rabbi at the time. Thousands of people following him around. He's doing miracles. And boy, to be a disciple of Jesus would have been a really cool thing. And most rabbis had a waiting list of disciples. People came up to the rabbis and said, I want to follow you. And they would say, fine, you need to talk to my assistant and see how well you do on the test. There will be a test. And we'll see how well you do, how well you can do on the test. So here's Jesus. He's walking through town and he comes to a test collector's booth and he stops at the test collector's booth and says to the guy on the list, of the least likely to be religious, follow me. I am sure in the crowd in the marketplace, people were sure that saw what was going on. There was an audible gap. A whisper. Thank you for noticing that 
this is one of the things that Jesus is really walking our group about. And we go to counsel Jesus like, here's a couple of things that come about if you leave begging for help. One of those things is that Jesus was comfortable with people that were polar opposites. Jesus was comfortable. He likes going to dinner with and and the people on the list. The flip side was true. People who were more opposite to Jesus and closer to Jesus were comfortable hanging out with them. We see the epitome of a good man, a holy man. Some of the times the town sounded like people were laughing. They were telling jokes. Probably some of them we wouldn't appreciate. Uh, they, they were having a good time. Some of them probably were drinking a little more than they should have been. But they were comfortable with Jesus. Now, before I go any further, I want to tell you if you're like me and you were born in a hospital or raised in a church, right? Okay, born and raised in a church. If you're raised in a church, you are more likely to be a Pharisee than the other people in this church. It's just true. Don't look down the nose of the Pharisees. Unless you like looking down the nose of the nose of yourself. Or not out there right in the middle. These religious leaders were free hanging around the edges of whatever Jesus was doing. And they wanted to see what was going on. They wanted to keep aware of what the radical new rabbi was teaching and so on. But they didn't really want to be seen as that. Pharisees, are they find the disciples and they're one of them and they ask him a question, why is your teacher 
exceedingly tax collectors and sinners. Here's what we do. If you read the gospel, the, the, the account of Jesus' life, you're going to find that there's a really stark contrast, a black and white contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus. There's two ways of treating people that are far from God are polar opposites, or as different as how we say. The Pharisees would say to people, hey, and you can judge them. If you think it's going to turn out. And Jesus said, join us. And you were saved. See the difference? I'm going to do it one more time. The Pharisees said, hey, and join us. Leaders were more concerned about rules than they were about relationships, and they wondered why Jesus wasn't more like them. They could tell by following him around and listening to him, this is a good man, this is a holy man, this is a teacher. He might even be a prophet with a message from God. Why is he hanging out with them when he can hang out with God? Time doing the very things we need their kids to do and our grandkids to do. 
to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not a sacrifice. Jesus gave them a homework assignment, which probably seems so obvious, but I think he did. These were professional students. To, to, to be a, a Pharisee, and to be a teacher of the law, many of them Memorize the first section of the Bible we call the Old Testament. They memorize to the extent that if a rabbi started a passage, they could finish it, and they were expected to do it in a split second at a moment's notice. That means that that's where the way they kept the disciples, whether or not they would be doing that. They would start a verse where they would stop. Now, some of us can do that. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll be it's good. In the beginning, ah, so, so we can pass on two verses. I'm going to do this one. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here's what the rest of that verse says. They would have known this. They would have had no The whole verse says, I don't want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. It's that focus on relationship and rules. Sacrifices were rules. There were a lot of rules. If you really want to get into the rules about sacrifice, you need to go look at the Yeah, they're talking about, and they do this, and they do that, this is the It's all there. All kinds of rules. And you have to do this every morning, or this every evening, or kinds of stuff. And, and God says to them, I want you to show mercy, I want you to love your neighbors more than give them sacrifice, and I want you to know me. Just what I want you to remember from the day, Jesus calls us to follow him, 
not rules. God's grace values relationships over rules. We've got to understand this. We're going to understand the message of, of Jesus and, and the message of what God has done in his kingdom. He values relationships more than rules. If he values rules more than relationships, none of us would have been but the story of Matthew chapter 3, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They were concerned about the rules. He went on, you broke the rules, I told you to buy Okay, let's do something else. Celebrate? He was more concerned about you obeying all of his rules. First time you broke one of his rules, you would have been tried and you wouldn't be sent to That's what we need to believe. If you want to take him one word, you can probably see that he didn't do the test. That's the end of that one. God's great value is relationships over rules. So Jesus. Jesus can invite anyone to follow him, no matter what they believe about him or how they behave. So there are four things I want us to get out of of this story about Matthew and Jesus saying, follow me to him. The first thing is, I want you to understand that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. It is a prerequisite. Not a sinner, you can follow Jesus. If you have a problem with that, we can talk about it later. But that's the prerequisite. There is not a sin that disqualifies you. There's not an offense. There's not a rule that you can break that keeps you from being part of those who are invited to follow Jesus. Thing I want you to know is being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. You can have questions in God. You may be going, ah, oh, this is Jesus in that thing. I really have a hard time with that verse. The verse, resurrection. How does that work? I don't get it. You know, I've been thinking, well, I can't answer all those questions, so I can't be a follower. But yes, you can. Because none of Jesus' earliest followers were believers. You're reading through the accounts of his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You'll, you'll notice about partway through, he does something. And suddenly they go, oh, now you believe. He's like, now you believe. We've been together for like two years, and now you believe. And most of them believe after the resurrection. Here's an interesting thing at the end of Matthew. After the resurrection, Jesus has been with his disciples for about 40 days. 30 to 40 days. He goes up on the mountain and he's meeting there and they're talking to him and he says, Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey me, obey all my commandments. And he 
stretched it out that goes up into heaven, right in front of their eyes. Right there is the interesting phrase. But some doubted. They are standing there looking at a guy they helped death a month ago. He's been alive and talking to them for a month, and now he's like floating off into heaven, and they're going, If you have questions, that does not cut you off from following Jesus. If you have doubts, it doesn't cut you off from following Jesus. You don't have to understand it all. None of his earliest followers believed at first. The third thing I want you to understand is Jesus called the followers an invitation to relationship. He indicated this before. I said it before. He wants us to follow Him, not rules. And this is because Jesus knows what we always, what we tend to forget. And that is, if you're in a relationship with somebody, it changes the way you are. Sometimes this month, there's going to be another granddaughter in our extended family here. Our mother's looking forward to the after. Who does Alpha? Do you know that? Oh, okay. I just said it right. Well, Alpha can't change things. At the house where she lives, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I, we are already, we're already supposed to be kind of, you know, normally Christian. Now, you know, now they know through Christ that we have a relationship with this little girl. She's not even here yet. When you have a relationship with somebody, it changes the way you are. What biggest sacrifices I make for my wife? That's not really true. Um, but one of the sacrifices I made was that I used to love Nina. I saw Nina. I loved Nina. That's just a small amount I achieved in the next few months. Uh, my wife-to-be did not like Nina. I went to a church on a regular basis. I said, you're not close. 
Jesus, I want to follow you. Sometimes it's not going to be eight steps. You know, like, for example, I could just go home and throw a party. 